Let's pray. Father God, I offer to you these words. May we hear them well. May they be gospel in our ears. Good news. And may we be inspired to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We have learned a whole new dictionary in, of phrases in the last few months. Social distancing, PPE, lockdown. However, in recent weeks, another phrase has gained prominence. As we hopefully pass the COVID-19 peak, more and more attention is focused on what the future will look like. But it's given a very specific name. It's called the new normal. The new normal. How will working, shopping, sport be reshaped by the experiences of the last few months? How long will the impact last? What will the new normal look like? And it's even creeping into church life. In the last couple of weeks, the United Reformed Church has produced an excellent document which I've shared with our trustees about things we need to consider before we could reopen our church building. And it's called Ready for the New Normal. Of course, there are some who question whether what we had before COVID-19 was normal in the first place. And whether we should or would want to go back there. Instead, they suggest, in the midst of all the horror, might we find space to stop, question, reset? For example, there's this from Matt Haig. He says, yes, lockdown poses its own mental health challenges. But can we please stop pretending that our former world of long working hours, stressful commutes, hectic crowds, shopping centres, infinite choice, mass consumerism, air pollution and 24-7 everything was a mental health utopia? Or consider this from Sonia Renee Taylor. We will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than we normalised greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction. We should not long to return. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. Something has happened and our world has changed. Over the last couple of months, we've adjusted to a very different way of life and things might not be quite the same for a long time, if ever. And there may be a sense of sorrow because all change involves some loss. But maybe parts of the old normal weren't working. And this moment offers opportunity to recognise that. 
may be the possibility of moving towards a new normal is something to be embraced. Well, there's something of that kind of thinking in this morning's passage. We've spent a few weeks in this series I've called The Reborn Identity. We're considering how God views us or what the Bible has to say about who we are. We've seen how God longs to welcome us into loving relationship with himself. Jesus came that we might become God's children. But we've seen that it's not always easy to believe that. We've read about how God's Spirit reminds us that we don't need to live in fear, reminds us that we are God's children, that our place in God's family is not based on events or feelings, but it's rooted in God's love for us and what Jesus has done for us. And we need reminding of that because we so easily forget. And then over the last couple of weeks, we have seen how God's welcome is open to everyone. Whether you're someone who's grown up within a faith community and this story has been part of your life since birth, or whether you're totally new to it and hadn't given it a moment's thought. But we're all welcome the same way. Through the cross and what Jesus has done for us. Today I want to wrap up this series with a slightly different question. What now? What now? We're invited into intimate, loving relationship with God. We're welcomed into God's family. Does this come with an opportunity to live differently? To move towards a new normal? And what does that look like? Today's passage was written by the same Paul who's wrote most of the passages we have considered over the last few weeks. And in today's passage, he says something has changed or something has happened which has changed our world forever. At the big picture level, the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus has thrown open the doors to a new relationship with God. Our world has been changed forever. But at the more personal level, we are invited into that new relationship. But, Paul says, when that happens to us, nothing is the same again. When we embrace that relationship, our lives are changed. It should impact our daily life. A new normal should start to emerge. Now, in some ways, that sounds a bit scary. Just as uncertainty about a new normal emerging from COVID-19 might be scary. But in the Paul's view, is really quite similar to Sonia Rennie-Taylor's. That, yeah, the old normal, it had its attractions. But it only seemed normal because that was what we'd grown accustomed to. But Paul says, don't romanticise that. It wasn't working. We had normalised a lot of stuff that was harmful and destructive to ourselves, to others, to our world. The possibility of moving towards a new normal should be embraced. 
And interestingly, both Paul and Sonia Renee Taylor turned to the imagery of clothing. Because of Jesus, we are given the opportunity to cast off the old ways and stitch new garments, which fit the way we're called to live. And there are a couple of elements which work together to allow this new normal to be cultivated in us. Part of it is down to God, but part of it is down to us. One aspect is the work of God, of his spirit, as we open ourselves to this relationship that God longs for us to have. As we create space through prayer, meditation, contemplation, scripture, God works in us and the new normal slowly starts to bubble up or emerge in our lives. In his book, How to Pray, Pete Gregg quotes the American author, Austin Kleon, who says, you are a mashup, a mashup of the things you let into your life. And Pete Gregg adds, if you mostly contemplate your phone, your neural pathways will realign to reflect that reality. If you fill your mind with pornographic imagery, you will, you will become more, not less, sexually frustrated and lustful. Numerous scientific studies have shown that if you surround yourself with people who are kind and speak positively, you will become more encouraging and optimistic. And when we meditate on God's goodness and saturate our consciousness in his love, we become like him. And that's what Paul urges us to do in the first section of our reading. In verse 1 he says, Set your hearts on things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In verse 2 he adds, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are here on earth. Set your minds, set your hearts. Now, in one sense, that sounds all mystical and otherworldly. You might think, Andrew, I'm just trying to get through the next week, let alone the next life. But Paul's focus is very much on the here and now. He's very practical and down to earth. It's not about our relationship with God. Most of his instruction is about how we relate to each other to the other brothers from other mothers and sisters from different misters in this family that God has invited us to join. Setting your heart and your mind is about truly getting to know the person God created you to be. What are your real desires and longings? They will drive your actions. And those desires and longings are often good and God-given, but they can be misdirected. And when they do, they take us farther and farther from who God intended us to be, and farther and farther from God, and more disconnected from each other. For example, we desire security. No bad thing. But we might pursue that security in greedy, 
miserly ways. We might manipulate or exert undue control over other people. We might live in fear and never risk anything, but never truly live. And all of those ways of pursuing that longing can be harmful, even destructive. But the original longing or desire was good. So what are the God-given desires and longings that God has planted within you? They are very much part of who you are created or called to be. Discovering the work or discovering those things is the part of the work of setting your heart on the things above. But they can be pursued in healthy or harmful ways. And that's part of the work of setting your mind on the right things. So often we descend into destructive patterns out of fear. The fear that I'm on my own. That no one cares. If I don't look after myself, I'm not number one, nobody else will. And part of the work of setting your mind on things above is allowing the space for the spirit to remind us of a different story. That we don't need to live in fear. That we are God's children. That nothing will separate us from his love. As we allow ourselves to focus on that, as we allow ourselves to be immersed in that story or narrative, we come to trust God more deeply. And that trust starts to shape how we live. We are freed to start to leave behind the old way of being and move towards God's new normal. But just as the spirit, or just as the God dimension or the work of the spirit has a part to play, there's a part for us to play. We are invited into that new relationship with God, but it's down to us whether we cooperate with it. Will we cast off the old ways? Will we stitch together new garments designed to fit the life we're called to live? And what does it look like? Put to death the things that belong to the old way of life. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Now you might be tempted at this point to think that after weeks of telling you that we're invited into a relationship with God and it's because of Jesus that there's nothing we can do that's going to make God love us more. Nothing we can do that make God can love us less. And now finally, ha, we get to the bit where you start the great big list of rules. Where God starts to boss us around. Actually, the opposite's going on. If you read the rest of the letter, one of the reasons Paul's writing to the Colossians is because others are telling them all sorts of things they must do to keep God happy. And Paul's actually arguing against that. But there are these lists which crop up occasionally in the New Testament and they do serve a purpose. It's like when you're learning to drive, you go through the whole mirror signal manoeuvre thing very consciously, very slowly. But over time, it becomes just what you do without actively thinking. It becomes normal. 
In fact, in London, it becomes so normal and people get so good at it that they kind of dispense with the whole signal bit altogether. And quite often they dispense with the mirror bit too. When someone teaches you a new skill, you are very conscious of each step. But over time, with practice, it becomes natural. It becomes normal. And that's what these codes do. The church communities Paul served were a right mix of people like any modern church. But we can easily lose sight of how new this message was in Paul's world. Values like kindness, humility, compassion even. They weren't valued in their world. Quite the opposite. That our world values them at all is largely down to the influence of Jesus and the church that they've had on culture. Paul was all about building community. You might remember last week I likened the journey of faith to the spokes on a bicycle wheel. As they get closer and closer to the centre of the wheel, they get closer and closer together. A sign that we're drawing closer and closer to God is that we are drawn closer and closer to each other. Jesus came not just to break down the barriers between us and God, but between us and each other. And the kind of behaviours Paul describes here drive us further and further from each other and therefore further from God. What links those first few things together is that they're all about self-gratification without regard for or even at the expense of others. Never mind who gets hurt. They're quite often categorised by a covetousness. I want it so I'll have it. But in the end, we're never satisfied. We're just left wanting more and more and more. And when these values start to infect the community, it pulls people apart. It doesn't draw them together. Now it's easy for our attention to be drawn to the sexy ones. And Christians and churches have often fixated on the sexual ones. But Paul didn't limit himself there. Oh, if only we were so hot on greed. If only we were so quick to control how we use our tongues and control our anger, our rage, our malice, because all of these things matter. Not just some, all. How we treat others and ourselves matters. So here's a test to help you decide whether what Paul says makes sense. Imagine a community where people treated each other like verses 5 and onwards, where people are greedy and just out for themselves, where nobody cares about fidelity or trust, where relationships are characterised by anger, rage, malice. And then just down the road, there's a, another community where people care about each other, where they're kind, humble, self-controlled, patient, forgiving, loving. Where would you rather live? Which would be rated more desirable? Which do you think would have higher property values? Now, okay, some of you might say, well, I prefer the first. At least people there are free. And sure, some people might get hurt, but that's life. Whereas the other lot, wimpy do-gooders. 
But if you think about it for a moment, you'll see that ultimately the other way is preferable and better. So much can get normalized and is harmful and destructive. But when we accept God's offer of being drawn into relationship with himself, so the possibility of moving towards a new normal emerges. One where others are drawn closer and closer to each other. That's not to say it's easy. It's not a life for wimps. Have you ever seriously tried to forgive someone who wronged you? Compassion and patience, far from easy. Kindness as a way of life isn't easy. We might want it to be, but we know it's a lot rarer than we'd, than, rarer than we'd like. Being compassionate is not sentimental. Being kind does not make you a soft touch. Humility is not low self-esteem. True meekness is not weakness. It's about knowing your strength and using it wisely. Forgiveness doesn't mean letting others walk over you. It isn't easy, but we're not called to do it on our own. In part, as we open ourselves to that invitation to relationship with God made possible in Jesus, through prayer, scripture, meditation, contemplation, we create the space for the Spirit to work within us. But we will need to whack with the Spirit. And sometimes we'll get it wrong. Sometimes we'll fail. How far we have travelled is way more important than how far, how far down the road we've got. Some people start farther along that road than others. And even more important is our direction of travel. Are we drawing closer and closer to God and the relationship he calls us to, or are we drifting away? It isn't easy. But if we trust God, he'll help us every step along the road, helping us to cast off the old ways which weren't working and stitch together a new normal, one that fits the new humanity we were created and called to be. One that fits our reborn identity as a child of God. One that fits the relationship that Jesus has made possible. Grace and peace. Amen.